Welcome to Performance Anxiety, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I am your host, Mark. And before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials Kit. It's got an amazing Lira mic and the most comfortable set of headphones you've ever tried. If you guys have ever thought about starting your own podcast, this is the easiest, most affordable way to get started with high quality gear. Now, I've mentioned this list I made early on of unicorn guests. Well, today I get to check another one off the list. Rob Marshall is one of the most incredible people I've had on this show. He's an amazing guitarist, but more importantly, he's a great human. He began making wall of sound music with Lice Asleep and Exit Calm. When that period ended, he began writing for and with Mark Lanigan, culminating in his project called Humanist. And that album is a masterpiece. If you haven't heard it, stop this podcast and listen to it. Seriously. I get some great behind-the-scenes stories of how it all came together, like how the centerpiece of the album is a nine-minute improv with John Robb and his otherworldly vocals. Follow Rob at Humanist on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX. Support us with a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety merch is at performanceanx.threadless.com and now i'm truly honored to welcome rob marshall to performance anxiety on the pantheon podcast network i'll just keep it brief and uh yeah, yeah so um all right now here we go uh hi this is rob marshall from humanist and you're listening to performance anxiety with mark share and me and uh, it's uh, Shay. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. Well, you got your mistake. I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. I'll do it again. Um, cool. Right. <clears throat> Hi, this is Rob Marshall from Humanist, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety with Mark Shay and me. Well, I I think a long time ago I sent you a link to the show and. Uh, so I don't know if you ever had a chance to check any of them out, but what one of the yeah, things- man, I, I've listened to quite a few actually. Obviously, the the Lanigan one and uh, oh, Ian Ottawa. You can tell a good story, can't you? Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I the only thing I, I wish I could have gotten a little better of a connection audio wise with him because it was it was a little on the rough side f- uh, for what I like, but it was great. The content was amazing, and I love that guy to death. No, he, he seems like a good guy. I've had a bit of back and forth with him, uh, messages and whatnot. But yeah, oh, never met him, but he seems like a cool dude. He's awesome. In fact, it's funny because um, out of I've had a you know I've dropped I think 170 episodes. And, oh wow! Oh. Yeah, and and the one person that oh, that keeps coming up to have on is you. Oh, oh, well, I'm not kidding. Oh, man. Well, I uh, I'll apologize now for uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, he, I, d- I don't know why. Who? Who's, oh, uh, uh, well, the, Ian Ottawa for sure. Mark Lanigan, right? He was definitely oh, yeah. he was one that that said I had to get you on. Um, oh, man, I'm thinking nice. Alan Johannes may have brought you up as well, but I know Leah and Peter from Black Rebel Motorcycle Club were adamant that I'd try to get you on. Oh, they're good people, man. That's uh, kind of a... Yeah. I love the death. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I talk with, uh, message with Ian just about every day. 
Uh, in, so. <laughs> in some way or another it, it's just crazy but i love that guy he's he's uh he's hilarious yeah man I, 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 the first time i heard of him actually was um when the video popped up with bart lanigan the duet that they did yeah uh, i'm always and then, uh, yeah that's it man and then um uh, the, uh, then he got in touch and i was speaking to him a little bit uh, and I, I mentioned him to Mark and he was like, oh yeah, he's a really cool guy. I've like known him for, since he was a kid or something. I think. Yeah. For years. So. I've, I've got a list of people that are like my dream guests and you may actually be kind of surprised that you were on that list. Oh, but man. seriously, because <laughs> I've been a huge fan since Exit Calm and... Oh, oh fucking hell. Yeah, and I, oh, I, thanks. I, I've been trying to follow follow your work and it over here in the states it's not as easy sometimes i mean internet makes it a little easier i guess but but uh also you know three kids full-time job makes it a little difficult to find some people sometimes but i've been trying to follow you ever since and and seeing that you had done the gargoyle album with blending i'm like oh okay okay, i got this is this is fantastic so when I started doing this podcast i made a list and and i thought lanigan alan johannes you um, oh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. So, I, and I, so I've actually been able to hit a whole bunch of them. So this is just another check on my list. So, uh, oh, thanks, man. Well, um, Black Rebel. I mean, Black Rebels are a great band. In fact, so years back over here, they used to have uh, in HMV and Virgin. You used to have listening posts um, where you could albums would come out. And you you could listen to the latest record or whatever that was just being released. Oh, and, nice. uh, I remember the uh, when the Black Rebels first album came out. The first day it came out, I was just happened to stumble into a, into H and B or something. I was listening to the album. And I actually bought it on the day that uh, it was released. The first record, so wow. I've kind of been following them really for quite some time. So it's nice to be in touch with them now. They're, they're a fucking great band. Though. They were always like a great live band as well. Weren't yes, they? I've, I got lucky enough. I've seen them. Th- I think three or four times, and that's probably the most I've seen any band. I think. I think that I've seen. Two bands, four times. I've seen a lot of shows, but usually it's just like one band. And then, I don't know. I just, I, I don't move on, but, you know, I, I like to <laughs> see a lot of different bands. And I have, I have limited funds, so I got to be careful who I, who I go see. So uh, I've seen Rush four times, and I've seen wow. Black Rebel Motorcycle Club four times. And that's the, the, the two top ones for me. <laughs> Do you know, I don't think I ever stopped. I've probably seen them four or five times as well, but, you know, at festivals as well. Yeah. Not, but I don't think I ever saw them with Leah. I think uh-huh. it was every time it was with... Um, with Nick. Uh, yeah, Nick Jago, that's it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's Man, that's been a while, because I've only seen them with Leah. So I, I, Right, okay. I, when, I, when they first, Okay, so we'll eventually get into the podcast but I, it's kind of what i like doing anyway so, no but, it's good free free, free on it. yeah exactly so, so my brother was uh, uh my brother's a weird guy i love him to death but his musical taste just it's he's like a roller coaster the one steady with him is like 50s and 60s music he's a huge fan of of doo-wop and then into 60s like psychedelia and and big neil young fan and all that and when he got to college and I guess a little after college, he got uh, in, into a little more alternative stuff. So this was like the late nineties and all. And one day he was, I was living in Alabama at the time and he was at up at university of Alabama and I was living like three hours South, like just off the Florida border. So I was real close to the Gulf of Mexico. So he drives down to visit 
and he brings the first BRMC album. And I'm listening, oh. like, this is incredible. This, uh, uh, this is amazing. This is the sound I've wanted to hear for a long time. <laughs> and so, I mean, he loves it too. And he, he doesn't leave it with me, no matter how much I beg him. And because uh, where I was living in Alabama was pretty rural. It was, it was hard to get good music there. You know, the one record store in town didn't have a huge variety. It was mostly like Limp Biscuit and then country. So, oh Christ! Exactly. So, <laughs> so I, I I go there and I I can't find it. So I end up ordering it and and getting it. and that was the beginning of the obsession. And I it's funny because their second album lost me a little bit. I did, I wasn't a huge fan of Take Them On on their own. And then Howl what? came out, and I it, it, I just became re obsessed with everything. And my brother totally forgot about the band. He's like, wow. He loved it, but then he he moved on and just kind of forgot about it. And I started talking about how their their howl was great. And he's like, wait, wait, who's this? I'm like Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. He's like, do I know them? I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> I used to respect you. But, yeah, that was a huge departure, wasn't it? That record. It was a surprise when it came out, but they they did it right that kind of style really really well man I've, yeah even the artwork looked like a like a you know an album from the mid to late 60s it, in i can't remember what, what what does the artwork look like uh it's uh, uh, it's it's like a almost like a collage it, it i mean it depends if you go if you take if you open the gatefold and you, and you turn the, the back it's like a collage like uh there's like pictures right. of them hanging out out in the studio there's pictures in the studio it wasn't just artwork. It was, you know, I don't know, it, it just the typeface. It looked like an old Marty Robbins album or something. Right, okay. And I and that really drew me in. I'm, and and cuz I was I was debating about getting it. I'm like, I wasn't a huge fan of their second album, but this uh, this uh, this artwork kind of drawn me cuz I used to be a photographer, so it that kind of right. stuff draws me in. And and so I'm like, all right, I'm I'm going to get it. I'm going to splurge and get it. And I was just blown away. I, they just pulled me right back in. Shit, man. Wow. But I remember, I mean, going back in the early noughties, I used to just buy albums and the cover looks fucking good. Yes. <laughs> I was I, in London, just kind of wandering around, going to a, <laughs> a record shop or whatever, and if the if the cover looked good I, and then and it kind of had a good feel about it, I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll just give it, you know, buy a few records like that, just because uh, you never know, do you? Yeah. I used to do that. When Some I'm, of those things that you just you go back, you don't really you, you don't kind of click with them at the time, but then you kind of discover rediscover that you had the record like ten years later or something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're like, fuck, man, how did I get hold of that record? Exactly, so, I know exactly what you mean. I, yeah. I used to do that a lot when uh, before I got married um, and we had kids, but uh, we had this close to my house. We had this record shop, and it was close to Princeton University when I lived in New Jersey at this time. I moved up and down the East Coast. I oh, say, East like a gypsy. Yeah, no. pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I've, been in, I've been in Virginia for 14 years and I, I feel like I got to move now. Long, <laughs> this is the longest I've ever lived in one place. But um, Oh, something must be wrong. Uh, yeah, well, I got kids now. They, they were all born in Alabama and we moved them up here, but they've, they've, uh, they've started school here, so I'm going to keep them here. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, family changes everything, doesn't it? Sorry, continue on. It does. Oh, no, no problem. Um, There was this record store called the Princeton Record Exchange, and they would get all kinds of promos from the college radio station. 
And so they'd had literally had thousands of UCDs and a bunch of them were record store, record station promos. And so you could buy new albums and sometimes promos before the album was released for like a $2. Wow. So, yeah. So me and my buddy, Ed would drive down to the record store with like 50 bucks in our pockets and come back with 20 albums. And, oh, wow. And we're like, all right, well, let's start <laughs> going through these. And just, and, and that was what we did on the weekends. Just, buying new music and, and, you know, whether it was a band we knew and I was, so this kind of ties into you. I was obsessive about the bands that I like and the people involved in them. So I would, let's say we'll use exit Calm for an example. I would get the album. I would read the liner notes. I would find the bands that you guys would thank in the liner notes and start hunting them out but i would also look up the members of the band and start looking at other things that you guys were involved in uh, right okay. and that's how i found some of my favorite bands uh, like uh you know mark wow. the band mark was in uh mad season you know i, oh, I was yeah. a huge pearl jam fan for their first two albums after when vitology came out i they i lost pearl jam they just i don't know pearl jam to me shouldn't be a punk band they shouldn't try to be a punk band and then they, <laughs> when they did that with Vitality, I'm like, I'm a, because I'm not a big punk fan. But Mike McCready, I loved his guitar playing. So anything he was involved in, I would go pick out. And that's how I found Mad Season. And, you know, and Mark Lanigan was, and I was like, oh, so this has got Mike McCready, Lane Staley, and Mark Lanigan. Beautiful. Wow. And Parrot Martin. Yeah. So, so that's, that's how I have kind of kept up with your work is, because I loved the guitar sound that you had in Exit Calm so much that I'm like, I got to find everything that, that Rob's doing because oh, I love this sound. But thank you very much. Man. Before we, we go into Exit Calm and Humanist and what you're, what you're doing now, what I like to find out is how you got there in the first place. So what got you into music in the first place? I know from doing a little bit of research that you grew up listening to Beatles and Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> so, uh, no. So, <laughs> Where did you read that? <laughs> I read. I, I I read an interview. Uh, um, oh. And if you, oh, maybe that. What uh, was that? Uh, <laughs> some in, an, an exit car interview or something. Uh, like I be, actually, I think it was. A, it may have been a like a sleep interview. Where oh, oh, somebody yeah. somebody asked you what was the first album you ever got, and you're like, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I think it was Wurzel Gummidge. Oh no, I don't. I, I was probably, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, <laughs> it's a long time ago. That. That's okay. My my first <laughs> album that I remember ever having was Disco Mickey Mouse. I got it for Christmas one year. So it, you know, it's cool. Wow. No, I definitely had the uh, the Jungle Book. I mean, when I was about three, I remember that. Um, yeah. But no, I, the, the, the music that um, I grew up with, I guess, was um, things... Well, my, my mum and dad were really... like They loved Elvis Presley, so that was kind of... That was played a lot. Okay. Uh, Roy Orbison, Every Brothers, Billy Fury. Oh. Not really any Beatles, though, weirdly. Oh, really? Yeah, they weren't really... Big Beatles heads. Um, they were more kind of like leaned on the Stones side wow. of things, but and Motown and and things like that. Yeah, oh, nice. And we kind of I, I grew up in a little town called Eaglescliff, just in a place called Stockton Tees in northeast of England. Okay, little kind of terrace, two up, two down. 
and we had a, I remember we had like a record player with the speakers, you know, that all kind of all in one thing. I can't remember what the, the uh, console started. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, it, it, every weekend it, that would go on. It didn't seem to, it's like it, it wasn't allowed to go on through the week or something. I don't know why, <laughs> but on weekends the records came out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, so I kind of grew up listening to that really. And then obviously the like later days, my I was probably influenced by the things that my brother was listening to, her older brother. Um, and he was kind of like got me into, he had like cassette tapes, a screen with Delica and Stone Roses, Massive Attack, that kind of thing. Oh, so, nice. So that kind of is probably where, you know, things really started to, well, I really started to get into music probably. But um, you know, I don't know, when I was a kid, I don't know, it was, music was like a, like a, a mystical thing, wasn't it? It was like another world. It, it wasn't, it's not the same now because the, you've got the internet and, and I don't know, man, it was like back then, the TV and the radio, they were quite, when the TV went on, every, everybody sat around it. Yeah. And with music, you kind of sat and listened to it. It wasn't something that was so much in the background in our house anyway. I don't know. I've had that discussion so, with so many people about how music has almost been cheapened in the fact that you have such easy access to it now, legally and illegally. And you just put it on in the background to do other stuff with yeah, it's not the same. And you don't, you know, I mean, a pretty obvious sin because it's, a, 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 I'm guilty of it myself, but you don't, people don't really listen to records anymore no. fully start to finish. You know, it's, we just, you kind of like randomly pick out tracks, don't you? It's, uh, yeah. well, it's a bit sad, really. But. Spotify and streaming services really have a, uh, I think they've got a big hand in that because I, I've got free Spotify. I, I'm not going to pay that, you know, whatever it is yet. I still have three kids at the house. I got to pay for college coming up and, and all. So, you know, every little bit I got to save. So I don't, I, I'm just using the free Spotify. So I can only listen to a certain number of songs in my playlist that I want. And then it just randomly picks its own stuff. And so, right, okay. and so I can't listen to it. If I'm streaming something I, in the car or, you know, doing what I just said, I can't stand having it in the background for something else. I can't just listen to an album back and forth unless I've downloaded it on my phone and killed all my memory. Oh man! So so now I'm just kind of, you know. You you need to get an iPod then, (laughs) man. You need to go back to the iPod. I do. You know what? I had a disc. I I had one and it broke. I was using it up to a couple of years ago, and then it finally died on me. I I may need to go back and do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. If I can find something to to upload it with, I got a. I I bought a new laptop. My wife bought me a new laptop for the podcast for my birthday last year and it doesn't even have a disc player in it oh shit man and i need what is it the uh the air mac is it or it's no no it's a dell all right but it's it it has no disc player and and i'm a guy i need the physical copies like i was telling you a couple days ago i've you know i've streamed humanist for a long time but i i haven't been able to get a physical copy yet and you know, well, they, they're doing uh, the the vinyl sold out, and they're doing uh, the label are doing another rerun. Uh, so when they do, I'll send you a copy in the post. Oh man, you're amazing! No That's worries, amazing. man. So I, we got the Spotify rant out because I, I tend to, I feel like every other show I end up doing that for because we all I, everybody <laughs> seems to have the same opinion. Music just isn't what it used to be. I mean, the, the music is still great, but people don't value it the way they used to. So. 
now yeah it's, it's, yeah it's, uh, it's a funny time isn't it yeah. know, hopefully something i mean uh, do you buy do you buy records still like I, seriously i yeah seriously i buy um if i find something i like i buy it on on i'm a cd guy just because i've you know when i was in my late teens early 20s cds were the the big thing and they're more portable than records so i would have a cd player in the car and i would just take a handful of discs and stick them in my car so i'm still into cds i like the size of the albums being a photographer i like art and so i like the size of the lps but i if i get an lp it's more for collectible right uh, well, you know i've got a humanist cd yeah just uh send me your address after the after this and i'll, and I'll get one sent sent over to you oh man you're the best thank you yeah. so much no worries man oh man oh, okay so yeah so i do i i do get I love cds in fact with some of the uh, pr people that that send me artists to do, have on the podcast they i actually request them to send me promo cds if they can because i, I love having the physical physical copy i don't feel like i own whether you know whether it's a promo or if I actually go ahead and buy it myself, I don't feel like I've owned I own it if if I don't have a physical copy. I'm always afraid of files getting corrupted and having to re-download something or uh, having to prove that I bought it in the first place. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. So I'm a physical guy. I'm a tactile guy. I need to to own it. So well, I, me too. Yeah. So did you start off? with guitar or was there an, another instrument that that really pulled you into playing music uh no no it was the guitar yeah but i mean i guess going back to the, the um kind of old, old school i mean i didn't know anybody that played guitar so it was something that was untouchable it was on wow. it was on a tv and it was like i didn't even think it was something that was attainable until one day i was kind of flicking through a catalog and i saw a guitar and i was like fuck I think it was like a 150 quid, or which is probably about two hundred dollars something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, I was, I was probably about twelve, thirteen, and I thought, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a guitar. And uh, but at the time, my, my parents were quite heavily in debt. I guess we had like people, like debt collectors, knocking on doors and all that kind of. I've been there. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. And, you know, as kids, you know, I mean, it's just. I guess it was kind of like a heavy time for, you know, for them, you know, a lot of, yeah. but, um, so there wasn't much money like kicking around. And I think it was, it was, we were getting close to Christmas and, uh, I think my mom said like, Oh, you know, you've got 50 pounds for Christmas this year or something, you know? And I was like, right. So I've got to get 150 quid. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I mean, whatever happened, we always, my mum always made sure that we had our uh, dinner money and uh, bus money to get to school every day. So what I did for about six months is I, I walked to and from school, not every day, but most days, and right. then I wouldn't eat properly. I'd just kind of <laughs> save my dinner money. So I basically wow. saved up all my, yeah, <laughs> got my, I've got this money together. So when I, you know, combine that with the Christmas morning and bought myself a guitar, yeah, and that was it, really. Wow. <laughs> Else, but, yeah, and then everything went downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. So what was your first band experience like? I mean, I know Like Asleep is the first thing I know about. Were there, were there other bands before that, or were you... Just... No, that, that was the kind of... I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I did... So when I when I first got the guitar, I got a friend that bought a guitar as well. So there was like two of us together. So we kind of like we did you know a group of friends. We got together in somebody's garage and we were kind of like 
tried to do like a little band thing, but it was just like nothing. It was like crap, you know what I mean? And then yes, I know what you mean. Um, on that. <laughs> and then I ended up uh, through circumstances. Just I kind of fumbled around a little bit for uh, when I left school, did some crappy jobs, and then um, I one day kind of through circumstances, the family home that I was living in was kind of being sold. So I ended up making the decision to jump on a bus a national express and went to L- london i had a friend that lived down there okay and uh, i was about 18 and yeah i had a contact down there for some guy it was a music management company if i remember right called sharp music and i think i recorded a couple of kind of like crappy four track demo things or whatever <laughs> and he was interested in me do you remember a channel called eurosport yes yes i do well, he was kind of interested. He had some weird, like some contact, and he wanted me to write instrumental music for this channel, Eurosport. Like, you know, like, I guess what oh, wow. they call these days library music. But, uh, yeah, so I went down to London and kind of was going to pursue that. I was down there for a few months and somehow ended up in Sheffield, and that's where I kind of ended up settling, and, and Lice Sleep was formed there. So. Oh wow! But that was the first kind of serious band, I guess that was in. Okay, okay. So had, had you been playing out at all in in front of the public before Like a Sleep? Then, or was it just no? That was, garage yeah, that, yeah, that was that was the first the first time I, I went. Wow. I it was one of the, I kind of went into a shop and there were, I saw you know they have those adverts for people looking for guitar players. I yeah. thought oh, I'm going to stick around in in Sheffield, which. Uh, I was there for about 12 years. So it was probably about the first month I was there. And uh, I saw a thing on a wall that said kind of influences Pink Floyd, Doors, Jeff Buckley. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of interesting. I phoned them up there and being the, the singer for Lice Asleep. And he was like, oh, we've already got a guitar player, but uh, we've got a gig tonight, so come down. So I went down, mm-hmm. um, watched them play. And so speaking to Dan afterwards, I didn't think much, and I, I, I don't know why, but he kind of must have liked the way that I was talking or whatever, and he was like, why don't you come to a rehearsal? Okay. So, uh, <laughs> a bit odd. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, so I turned off at this rehearsal, and everybody quit. <laughs> so that was like... <laughs> 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 so that didn't go That's too not well. a good start. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, I don't, no, it wasn't as bad as that. So I was essentially the kind of ba- the bass player and the guitar player ended up leaving, and um, and the singer and the drummer they were like, well, we want we want to do a band, we want to be in a band with you. <laughs> so that kind of was the, that was Scott. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. So that was uh, that was Scott and that was Dan and they so Scott Pemberton, who was the drummer in Exit Calm as well. And yeah, that, I guess that was the birth of Lice Asleep. And then we advertised for a for a bass player and, and Simon came along and, and off we went. Yeah. So I've been and pronouncing we, that wrong the entire time then. Everybody did. I mean, we it, it, it was we, we had Lycra, <laughs> Lice, <laughs> like, a, like a sheep. Like a sheep? Oh <laughs> yeah. my God. It's it just, it, it was the worst fucking name ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we got we were stuck with it because you know once you choose these things it's like ah oh, man it's so bad but right. um, terrible but um, yeah so we, we, I can't try to think uh, anything interesting with life. So, I mean like, essentially we kind of we did it the old school way we kind of slogged around in loads and loads of gigs okay uh, you know just literally anywhere and everywhere that 
you know, across the country. Was it mostly and original then, tracks or were you, were you... Oh, no, it was, yeah, everything. It was all, oh, yeah, okay. only original. And, uh, oh, nice. We were kind of like pretty, pretty, pretty out there, really. guess we had that verb tag like even yeah. back then that you know because of the kind of atmospheric big big guitars i think yeah the big swells of of psychedelic guitar and that's honestly i mean that's what drew me into exit calm and then lice asleep afterwards because that went backwards and um this the sound is uh, musically is, is pretty similar between the two bands it's it's dense but delicate and uh what i found interesting was that uh I read a quote from a promoter about Lice Asleep saying uh, they called it music to commit suicide to. <laughs> well, I've never heard that. Oh, you know? yeah. That was... That's probably about right. Yeah. See, I, I, I would say heavily <laughs> atmospheric, but I, I wouldn't say suicidal. I mean, geez. No. That's a little uh, rough. Yeah, yeah well. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. But you guys, now I, in my research, I found that five, I found five tracks that got released in some way, shape or form. I mean, is there, was there a lot more that never got released? Yeah, there there was a quite, there's quite a bit more. We were kind of, we were working towards a record and then the last, very last thing that we did was this about a month of dates with a band called Puries and Revolution. And there was kind of, we were already at that point really. Uh, the three of us kind of moving away from the singer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dan's like look, a lovely guy, you know. Was, yeah. But it was just uh, musical differences, yeah, I guess. You know. Okay. He wanted to do his own thing, and uh, we were kind of going in a different, slightly different direction. But um, yeah, we we, we somehow we, a tape was it a tape? Yeah, I guess it might have been a no a CD. It'll have been a CD. Yeah. Got into the hands of Alan McGee. Oh, through a promoter, uh, you know, from Creation Records. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he ended up putting, there was a night that he had on in uh, London called uh, Notting Hill Arts Centre. I think it was just called Alan McGee's Notting Hill Arts Centre, some some crap like that. Um, <laughs> and he, he put us on there. And then we met our first manager, John Bryce, who was looking after a band called South, who was signed to Morwax, which is James LaBelle's label. And that oh. was kind of the... I guess that's because we had that, that kept us going for quite a bit, you know, because then we started putting out a couple of, we, well, we put out a couple of seven inch records. Um, but yeah, by the time we got to that, that tour, I think it was just kind of game over really, you know, we were just kind of going through the motions. And then when that split, we kind of dusted ourselves down. 
yeah. advertised for a singer, and then we met Nikki, and and that was that. You know, we're off, we're off again, really. And, and I, I can, I think Exit Can was a more focused, but definitely a more focused version of what Liza Slate was trying to be. And you had a chance to change your name. Oh, thank God! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so something did, slightly better. Yeah, exactly. So, how did you guys choose Exit Calm? Because that's that's an intriguing name. Oh man, that that, that came from the bass. Um, I think it came from the bass player, and I'm I'm not really sure to be honest with you. But um, it was Blind yeah. Shore for a little while, right? Yeah, well, that was through a band in Texas that we liked uh, called Seven Percent Solution. Okay. Uh, they were kind of a psychedelic band, I guess, that, that really, they weren't very big or anything. And they had a track called Blind Show that we thought was pretty cool. I think we got in touch with the guy and we're like, do you mind if we use it? And he was like, oh, I've got a band called Blind Show. So we didn't end up, you know, <laughs> using that name. But I think Exit Calm was better anyway. I quite like like the the sound of it and I like the way it looked written down. I, I like Exit Calm. Blind Shore sounds, I mean, it sounds like something from the early 90s. Yeah, it sounds a little bit indie, doesn't it? Yeah. A bit, a bit light, light indie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, all right, so how did you guys find the new singer, Nikki Smith? Uh, I just advertising again. I think it was in a music music shop we advertised. We put, I, I, he'd heard of our band before, actually. Okay. Um, so I think he thought when he read the, um, the advertisement that it might be us. And then when, I think he might have sent a demo tape or something to the bass player. And as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, fuck, man, yeah, yeah. definitely. He's got a wicked voice, great, great singer, great, oh, had a man. great presence. The thing that, that kind of blew me away was that the sound, I, I mean, I, I loved this, the music of Exit Calm. And the very first time I heard it, I'm listening to the, to the you know, You've Got It All Wrong is the first song I heard. And uh, so yeah, well. I'm listening to the guitar and the bass and the, the music and it's just swelling up and it's reminding me of early Verve. It's like you, you, you've taken Nick McCabe and just distilled him down to everything I love about him and you're oh, playing that. Thanks. And it, so mentally I'm expecting a dreamy Richard Ashcroft type of vocal maybe. And then all of a sudden Nikki Smith comes in with this like Paul Rogers meets Lemmy kind of vocal. And I'm like, Holy crap, this is not what I was expecting at all. This is amazing. Between the the music that I love and the unexpected heaviness and gruffness of Nikki's vocal, I was hooked. Yeah, that, that that's what was I thought was great about our band actually is that with Lice Asleep, um, Dan's a, like, an amazing vocalist as well, but he kind of like sat on top of the music and floated around it, and it was yeah. pretty kind of ob- obvious of what you'd expect. But Nikki kind of went against what we were doing and kind of at the same time. Made it more accessible, I think, because we were trying to focus the sounds a bit more. Okay. When we came out of Asleep in the music that we started to write in the room, but with Nicky, he made it even more focused because he was such good at writing really hooky melodies. And so it felt like a real step up for us from Lice Asleep to that. 
Yeah, and, yeah. It was, uh, and it was. So did you start from scratch with Exit Calm, or were you, did you have music already set that, that Nikki could sing over? Uh, we um, probably had about six, six or seven tracks that we were kind of like playing around in the room before Nikki had got there. Okay. But then obviously once Nikki was there, there was, we, you know, you, you change things around and, yeah. and whatnot. But yeah, yeah, pretty much, you know, we, we, we had a bunch of ideas there, but then over the course of like the two years, we kind of, we did loads and loads of playing again, uh, loads of writing. We were never, you know, we were just in the, in the rehearsal rooms like all the time. Yeah. And then there was like a turning point, I guess, when we, we went to, we just, a lot of people were kind of sniffing around us at the time. We did this gig in London, I think it was at the Water Rats. It was probably the first time we ever sold out a gig in London. And wow. there was like labels and agents and managers there. And it was just kind of like, you could just feel that something was in, that happening. Do you know what I mean? And when you're in bands, you feel those little points where there's like little kind of possible turning points where it could, something could go. Do you know what I mean? And this, this... Yeah, I, I, not you know, not being in a signed band, I I understand what you're saying because I've, it, other things have happened that like that in other areas of of life for, for me, fortunately. But yeah, I, I I know exactly what you're saying. It's it's got that's got to be a crazy feeling though, knowing that there's there's a you're on stage yeah, and there's like, a possibility in that somewhere in that crowd something's happening. Yeah, you, you just get a fe- you just get a feeling. I don't know what it and when we came off after that gig there was um, there was two really big live agents there, the, um Steve Strange from X Ray and uh oh, Steve Zapp, I think it's ITV. Um but anyway, they were kind of like arguing between themselves about who was gonna take <laughs> us on. And then EMI were around us at the time, which we would they were never gonna sign us, but I think because it was they could see that something there was interest there that they was we suddenly went into the we were in and out of their studios in uh, London for quite a bit, uh, just doing demos and stuff. And then yeah, I don't know. Man. Oh, and then we got I guess we got together. We had a so there was managers, but you know, lots of different people interested in us. We ended up going with a guy called John Dawkins that was looking after he he looked after the enemy. Uh, I don't know if you'd heard of the enemy in America. You probably haven't, no. but they were kind of like, they had a time over here where they were quite big and uh, he just joined forces with Fratelli's manager, Tony McGill. And okay. we liked, yeah, so we kind of ended up getting looked after by them and yeah, I don't know, you know, first album came out and it didn't really happen, I think. I, I think our record was just too fucking out. It was too, <laughs> it, it's not commercial in any way, really, is it? We had a couple of tracks there that were kind of, we did edit itself, but the sound was just too kind of too big for radio. I would say. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. But the, 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 one of the cool things that I saw is that the, your de- the debut single "Higher Learning" it sold out on pre-order. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, incredible. That was cool. Yeah, that that was the kind of uh, like the buzzy time. I think you know, like re- that period that I'm on about with. That. I think we, in fact we did. We recorded those "Higher Learning" and "Awake" in um, at EMI Studio just off Oxford Street. Okay, so I want to find out what happened here because Higher Learning came out in February of 08. 
And then the second single it came out in November of 08, but the LP didn't get released until May of 2010. What was going yeah, on yeah, in yeah. the meantime? Well, we, we just, we couldn't, we couldn't find a label that was, uh, in tr truth be known. Oh, was, uh, okay. Yeah, we, we, it was just a bit of a struggle. I mean, it, I think we were one of, like I say, we were one of those bands that were liked by, we were liked by and respected by other bands. Mm. And we were name dropped quite a bit. And there was certainly, there was a, an interest there, but I think because the, the band was kind of so out there, really, musically, I mean, I'm talking like it, we're, we're making 20 minute psychedelic songs and we're not, you know, right. it's not that out there. Right. But yeah. <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, I don't know why, but it just, we just, yeah, it just ah. took such a long time you okay, know, to get that record. And then we, luckily we found a label called AC30 owned by Robin and Duncan. And, yeah. uh, they really believed in the, in the band. And so we put the LP out with them. Yeah. So. Okay. Cause to me, it was sounding like, um, and without digging deep into, into labels, it's, it was sounding like there was a, uh, some kind of delay between the singles and the album. I didn't realize that, that you guys were still hunting for a label at that time. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in fact, our, um, our John, the, um, our manager, he had a bank seat. Oh, we were, wow. for a long time, we would, we were like, how the fuck are we, what we're going to do then? We need to get and do this record. You know, we need to go somewhere and record. And, we didn't, nobody had the funds to do it. Uh, John had this uh, Banksy painting and he sold the Banksy. Oh, wow. And, and basically paid for the record himself yeah, out of his own money. So that, that's, you know, that was quite an incredible kind gesture and what a bold move. And we got, you know, forever in debt to, to John Light for that. It's incredible, really. That's but, um, amazing. Wow. Yeah. It was, yeah it's, and so we ended up in uh, London. Uh, for about a month, I can't remember the name of the studio. To be honest, yeah, we get that um, detailed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I loved that album. It's just, oh gosh, it's it's so lush. It's just such a great album. But the next release wasn't for another two and a half years. Uh, were you guys gigging a lot? Were you guys just playing out, or, or were you just taking a a little bit of a uh, of a hiatus? There well, again, it's the. I think probably by the time that that first record came out, we'd done a, a lot of support slots with loads of different bands, loads of touring. Yeah, and it kind of didn't. It, you know, I, mean, I think it sold. It sold pretty well, but it didn't really. You know, we weren't making a living out of it, but we treated the band like a full time job. And yeah. by the time we got to the end, we were just. I think everyone was just a bit tired out of it, really. Um, we tried. Uh, you know, maybe at that point would have been a you know in a way we you know we should have probably split up then but we didn't um <laughs> so you, you brought up a, an interesting point that I, I don't i don't think about quite often and i and i'm sure a lot of people don't think about you've got this album out and you're supporting the album but that's not your full-time job i don't you know that just doesn't i, I think of that if you've got an album out then that's your job yeah, well, it what it was to us for every every single every single member of that band, you know, especially up to that point, we put everything into that record. Yeah, and we were, you know, I guess we were hoping that we might have, you know, we didn't have a publishing deal or anything at that point, and oh. there was no money kind of coming in, and, and it was just a real struggle. And I, you know, you, when you're that committed to a band, and we were, you end you end up losing a lot of things along the way. And I think by the time we got to the to the end of that record and the end of the year, and it was a case of like, oh, what do we do now? Start writing another record. I think we're all just a bit deflated by it, like fucking wow. hell. 
So, but we, we, we pushed on and we ended up getting, in, we parted ways with Dawkins, um, who he parted ways with the guy that he joined the management company with at the time. Oh, I think he was kind of a little bit lost as well at that point. And so we ended up parting ways with him anyway. And luckily we found a new manager and that breathed a little bit of life into the band again for the, another record, you know, just to get, you know, but it, it just didn't last. I think at that point we'd already started to kind of frictions again within the band had started to kind of come, you know, move forward or whatever. Come, and it just, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, bands have a shelf life, I guess, don't they? Unless you're yeah. the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a whole other podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. so then, so the second album comes out, you guys have some friction. You're kind of feeling that it's not, gonna go any, any further but a few a couple other songs did trickle out like the veil and footprints and Is there a lot that was left behind that that hasn't seen the light of day? No, not really. There, there's about five five new tracks, I think, uh, that we demoed, uh, just did live demos of. And um, but at that point, it, uh, musically, we were we were kind of we were a bit tired out, I think. Yeah, and we were just re- we were just repeating ourselves. I think there was even though the tracks I, I still you know I believed in every single piece of music that we ever did. And I put everything into it, but I think by the end we were we weren't really doing anything new. We were just kind of repeating ourselves a little bit, and so you know, I think it just came to its natural end, really. Yeah. Well, you know it, that, and I think that's part of the problem is that when when you're known for a certain type of sound, it, we you, you kind of you you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, you get. Oh uh, yeah. You don't want to, Yeah, you don't want to stifle your creativity by doing the same thing over and over again. You get bored and then burnt out. But then, if you don't do something similar, then much like the issue I had with Pearl Jam's Vitology, you get people like, "This doesn't sound like the band. I don't like this." So you, I know, I, I've done it with bands. You know, so I, I'm. No, I'll raise I mean, my hand it, and say I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I actually personally, I've, with the sounds that I was that I had right all the way through Exit Karma, I did begin to feel a little bit stuck, like I couldn't get beyond it. Especially if the three of us were in a rehearsal room, and I was trying to kind of, I always felt like I had to fill gaps, fill like to create this big sound. And if I didn't make yeah. this big sound, and I did try to do something different, everyone was like. I just doesn't sound that good, does it? And as soon as I kind of like, all right, do the old, I fill it out, and everyone's going, oh, that sounds all right, doesn't it? So it's like, yes. fuck you, you know. It's, it's, I, I did feel like creatively, I kind of got, I, I did it to myself really. I got kind of stuck in this corner where I had to <laughs> try and big guitars, loads of feed, but you know, just kind of whatever. It's. Uh, but uh, the songwriting is solid. I've got to say because I listened to a, a an acoustic version of Albion, and that's oh, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Streets empty of all that 
that's that's nice of you to say, man. Just yeah. you and me. That's one of my favorites. I thought. Oh man, it, it's really it's beautiful, and that that's a credit to the songwriting. So it, you know, if you can strip all the noise down, and it's still gorgeous with just a voice and one guitar. I mean, that's that's success. Yeah, that that that's always a. I think that was always a surprise to people actually that when we did do acoustic versions or sessions, that people were surprised that it still sounded quite big, or it still sound. Oh, it's actually you could hear the structure of the tracks, yes. and. Uh, yeah, and we, we did a Janice Lom Janice Lom session for Radio Two. Me and Nikki, that was quite. Yeah, that was. Is that what that was? From? We, I, uh, I saw it on no, YouTube. No, we didn't. No. Oh, it was on YouTube. Yeah, I, I've not actually heard that. Uh, that I mean, I've, I, I remember us doing a version of Albion Acoustic, but um, yeah, no, the Janice Lom thing. We did a track called Serenity off the record, and a oh, okay. track called Alarms. I think might might have done another track as well. I, can't I think. Remember. Yeah, I think I've seen Alarmed, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, the the Albion is just man, that just, just blew my mind. It was just so good. So, exit calm, calls it quits. You kind of take a little bit of a break, and were you just done with music for at this point? Were you just had you just had enough? Or were you burnt? What was? Because uh, I, I really I, I was burnt from, out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I fourteen fourteen solid years really of like oh, wow. total full commitment and playing and. And when that finished, I was just like, oh, man, I'm just like, you know, I also just kind of come out of a long-term relationship as well mm. and kind of dusting myself off and everything that, everything that I had in my life, I think, up to that point, had just kind of come to an end. Do you know what I mean? It reached it. So it was kind of, yeah, I don't know. I was just, I, I just, I didn't even pick up. Every single day, probably for 14 years, I picked a guitar up and for about six months, I didn't, I didn't even touch it. I just kind of... It was yeah, and then I just slowly but surely it just kind of comes. But you know, you I can't close the door on it. It's there. It's omnipresent all the time. You know what I mean? Music. Yeah. And it's not like I'd, I'd never listened to any music through that period. I mean, I did, I did, but yeah, I tried to kind of push it away. I think, but so it, but I just couldn't. The next the next thing that I found that you got involved with was uh, Mark Lanigan's Gargoyle album that released. Right. Date wise, anyway, how did you meet up with Mark Landigan and, and start writing with him? So after about six months, I started writing some music. Um, I started getting into recording myself at home. I just thought, just for fun, really. And then yeah. I kind of got about five or six tracks together. I played them to my manager, and she was like, "Oh, these sound really fucking good, Rob. You should do some with them." And then that was the kind of birth, really, at that point of. The idea, at least, of humanist. Okay. So I kind of continued on with that. Maybe uh, got a few more tracks together, polished up what I had, and then I wrote down a list of people that wanted to, that I'd like to would have liked to sing on them. Because one thing I didn't want to do is I thought like, I don't want to get in another band again. And you know, the idea of standing in a room with three other people and kind of going through that process, I was like, "Fuck, man, I've just yeah. done it so much." At that point, anyway, especially if they if they're uh, familiar with you and they're thinking you're going to come in with this big wall of sound, and that's not what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, and I quite like the idea of just kind of the isolation of being on my alone, really, and just kind of working away at things with no pressure or anything. So, I got these tracks together. Obviously, Mark was on the list, so my manager got in touch with his manager and. Came back saying pretty much actually. I think even within like a couple of hours, wow. came back saying, "Yeah, Mark's up for it." So I was oh, like, wow. 
Oh, even but when that when when that email, she, I remember her manager sent to me. Oh, he said yes, and I was like, nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> Man, I, Mark is open for so much. I, I'm blown away by how open he is to doing things musically and podcastingly. I guess. So yeah, he's a, we, so we got. Yeah, I actually we we toured with um, Exit Cam that is with Soul Savers. Oh, cool. uh, when Mark was singing with Soul Savers, that's all. Awesome. I never I never met him or spoke to him. I mean, I saw him. I mean, yeah. I saw. In fact, the first time I saw him was in Manchester, and he was sat. This is before they even sound checked, and he was sat on a couch on his own, and he was just like looking down at the floor. And I walked. That was. And I walked past. Maybe like two hours later, and he was still in the same position looking at the floor. And I, thought, right. <laughs> I was like, right, I think I'm just going to leave that guy too. <laughs> you know yeah. what so I did. So that kind of like set the, the presidency, really. I did, at that point, I just thought, no, nah, I'm not going to bother that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, uh, but uh, they, they were brilliant gigs. Like, yeah, but then he, when he, yeah, he came back um, saying yes. And then eventually, maybe a couple of weeks later, the tracks came through, the, and the tracks in question were. Uh, Kingdom and Gospel. Oh, and man, Gospel. I was like, fucking hell. Gospel it, yeah, it's incredible. Oh, thanks, man. And, and we'll come back to all this in, in a minute, but the stuff that you get Mark to do, I mean, when I'm listening to Gargoyle and Somebody's Knocking, I can hear which song is a Rob Marshall song and which song is like an Alan Johannes song. And, and there's definitely, he approaches them both differently and when you guys you know when it, when it's a song written squarely by you and squarely by alan you know it's i can definitely hear the difference but the stuff that you and mark do together i mean it's and and all kidding aside you know this is i'm 100 percent honest with you the stuff that you guys have done together it's some of my favorite lanigan performances over his career he's it's i got hooked into him with screaming trees and that crazy you know, baritone he's got, which I'm assuming it's baritone. I don't know. I, I don't know how they classify vocals, but his incredibly deep voice. And then I love what he's done, but for some reason, the, the performances that, you, that he does for your music, just, I don't know. He, it seems like there's a, a, a something special about it. Something, something a little extra to them. Uh, well, thank you. And I agree. I, 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 when I, I mean, I, the first, I was always blown, well, I was blown away when I heard Kingdom and Gospel the first time. But when I when we started doing the gargoyle stuff, I I remember when I had Nocturne, and I thought, right, what became Nocturne? Because he obviously named it. Yeah. But I was listening to it, and I thought, I fucking know that I've got something like with, with this. It just kind of like you know, with certain tracks you got, you just know. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. And when he sent back. The vocal on that, I was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> no. One of my, I would say, one of my proudest moments of uh, you know collaborations that I've done. Like, oh, that's awesome. it's fucking yeah. I mean, the Beehive. I nearly never sent him it. 
Yeah, it was it was really? a very last minute. Yeah, which is at that point I got into a habit of writing and recording things, and if I didn't like it, I deleted it. Oh. So I could spend I could spend all day on a track, and if I got right to the end of the day and I listened to it, and I and I didn't feel like it was doing doing something that you know I I just I get really frustrated and just go fuck it, man. I just deleted it off. And anyway, that was right. So the the beehive thing was right at the back of the pile and I think I played it to my manager and she was like are you fucking kidding me you got to send him that and then I, so I sent him it and obviously that was like that was the, the radio single do you know what I mean yeah. it's uh and you know yeah it's playlisted and, and you know One of my favorite Lanigan songs from the, the past, oh gosh, since he's gone solo, I, I guess, is Gazing from the Shore. I, that, oh, fuck, man. I fuck love you know. that wow. song. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, fuck. I, yeah, I, that, yeah, I had a, a slightly different version of that track. Um, I mean, a little bit more kind of pill, like Public Image oh, Limited. Yeah, yeah. Like kind of a really like dubbed out reverb bass and oh um, really but yeah that's another that's another one that I think's fucking yeah that I'm really really proud of as well yeah again well, all credits like, Mark's lyrics <laughs> are just fucking insane aren't they so all right so that's that's another question I've got is are you you you're not writing lyrics for any of this stuff you're you're just sending music out to these uh, singers that you would like to have on the album yeah yeah wow. I mean I mean pretty much I mean that the, the lie down obviously is, is a track that I sing. I, I'm not massively confident singing or anything like that. And it's not something that I ever, I, that I want to do really. But, <laughs> um, so I put it under the, the title Madman Butterfly, but that's me. And then the bits like on the end of um, gospel, that's me and the backing vocals and, and shit. Wow. But, uh, it's really yeah, no, good I, I, stuff I, though, man. Oh, thanks man. I'm proud of that record. Yeah. It's the first, fully you know produced mixed record that i did um yeah this album got an achievement it, it got so much positive feedback every you know anytime anybody that i've spoken to about this album they're just like this is incredible i mean i've seen oh god when i had uh the last time i had i've been fortunate enough to have uh leah shapiro and peter hayes on twice and the last time we right. peter and i were just talking about humanist for for a little while it was just he was just oh. blown away, but it literally blew him away. It he was just we talked about it for like ten minutes. Uh, he's a he's a good guy, isn't he, man? It's, uh, they're both lovely, lovely people. Oh, they. In fact, really? I need to yeah, I need to reach out to them. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, the, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a huge compliment, isn't it, when you end up going three sixty with people that you listen to and respect, and then they come back. And it's, you know, start listening to you. There's nothing. There's no bigger compliment than that. Oh gosh, I agree. I mean, that's like when I'm lucky enough to have somebody come on this show a, a second time. It means I actually liked being on the first time. So that, I'm like, <laughs> so I kind of get it a little bit. But 
there's more than just you and Mark Lanigan on that. I mean, you've you've got Dave Gahan, uh, Mark Gardner, John Robb, um, Ron Sexsmith. You've got all kinds of people on this album. Yeah, man. It's uh, you should get John Robb on your on the podcast. Actually, It'd be a good one for you. I could hook you up with him if you. Ah, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, he's a good guy. John literally fucking knows everybody. But, uh, <laughs> interesting guy. That's awesome. Yeah, I would love to talk with him. That, was it? Was it all pretty much? The same? I mean, did you know any of these guys beforehand, um, or was it the same thing? Were you just reaching out to people and hoping they come back with a yes? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the only the only person that I knew was Joel Cadbury. Uh, he was the singer in South, right? And he also did a lot of vocals for Uncle. He was kind oh, of part of that, uh, the whole Uncle unit for you know um, about ten years or something. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, he was the only guy that I knew. The rest of them, um, my manager reached out to, uh, apart from a friend that got in touch with Jim Jones for me, and then Fraser actually, who ended up um, he recorded some drums uh, for a few of the tracks somewhere, and the other one was Ron Sexsmith. We just started. Fo- I think Ron just started following me on Twitter randomly, and wow. I was like, "What?" And I was like, "Fuck, man!" I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like "Well, I'm not going to let this opportunity go." So I was, like, I, I just kind of plucked up the courage to drop him a message and I had a track already that I knew would be perfect for him which was the, the track that is on the record and sent him that and when he sent me that back again I was like that was another one of those moments where I was like fuck man you know it's like Ron Sexsmith you know he's just got such a beautiful voice and way yeah. with his words that just relates to everybody and that, honestly that song that's how you're holding up I, yeah. That's that could have been the theme song for 2020. Days are dark as dark is bright. Heaven's heavy hell. <laughs> it's just the the lyrics on it. I mean, God, talk about being prophetic. Jeez. Oh no, man. Oh God, I wish I could, I wish I could write things. You know, words as beautiful as Ron, but you know, it's it's my kind of. Uh, yeah, I should probably say actually, and with with writing music, I'm super. You know, I've found a medium where I'm totally able to express myself exactly how I want to, but with. With, I don't know communication and words and I don't know man it's just not something that is my strong point so I'm a, it t- yeah. yeah so you might need to edit the silences to make me feel a bit <laughs> snappier and sharper <laughs> if you can man it's you know it's crazy speaking of editing because I'll probably edit this out I I, yeah. I did a little bit of calculation and I think for every hour I record it takes like four hours to edit oh fuck man really it's yeah crazy wow. yeah so Thank God bless my wife and my kids. They're incredibly understanding. So to let it's, your, it's your passion, right? It, well, it, this and photography. I, yeah. I, and, and honestly, music. I love music. I wish I could play. I've taught myself how to play guitar. So I get, I, I get to play a lot of noise. And maybe that's one reason why I like the sound of, of Exit Calm and, and especially early Verve. And it's just big swells of noise and I love that and I can kind of do that on my guitar a little bit accidentally 
So which is, but it's it's to me your music and, and, and Nick's it just kind of swallows you. It just kind of envelops you completely. And I, I think, God, okay, now this is this is going to be really weird. But hang with me for a second. <laughs> I think what, and I honest to God, I just thought of this now. I think I may have figured out why I love it so much. When I first really got into music and, and hearing bands like the Verve and, and these big shoegaze bands with all the noise and effects and all, my parents had just gotten divorced and my mom literally just vanished for like a decade and then my dad was kind of doing his own thing. Uh, you know, I was, I mean, my mom, she, I mean, we didn't she, like vanish. I mean, she was just out of my life for like, you know, eight, 10 years, something like that. And right. uh, my dad was trying to rebuild his life because it kind of took him by surprise. So he was just working on rebuilding. He had his own company and, and he was, he just kind of, you know, put himself into the into the company to try to keep his mind active and, and, and away from what was going on. And I think for me, hearing that huge sound kind of swallow me made me feel better, made me feel, um, it was almost like a, a, a musical hug. Yeah, man, that, that's weird about total it. escapism, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Like, with that kind of sound. In fact, I, I remember... Totally. Yeah, I bought my brother um, the Verve EP yes. for his birthday when we were when we were younger, and I, I think he was after a Northern Soul, and I didn't really know what I was buying. I ended up getting this EP by accident, and he never really listened to it. And I, oh, I remember putting it on in headphones and just being like, "Fucking hell!" Yeah, just total, a totally different world, isn't it? You know, and I, I definitely had a a big impact on my on the sound and stuff 100 oh. percent, you know it's yeah. just, uh, she's a superstar is is one of my favorite tracks that the it's just incredible and the way it just builds up and and kind of completely surrounds you is and that's what i loved about your guitar is just it did the same thing yeah that's that's cool well thank you man and it's weirdly that um through the exit calm days i think when we uh when we put out that seven inch actually the higher learning um Nick McCabe got in. Uh, I don't know how this happened. Some, well, well, it's something to do with like, at this point, obviously I didn't have a computer right. and I didn't really know what the internet was. <laughs> <laughs> it was still quite a new thing. And I used to get people coming up to me saying, Oh, uh, people talk about you on the internet. And I was like, what? What's, what's like, what the fuck is, yeah. What the? Uh, and there was this forum that was set up for the, for the, uh, like uh, from, by fans for the birth. And so there was, people that are obviously connecting the two sounds together and what and whatnot and then so it was something it was through that and one day i got out of the blue i just got a phone call from nick mccabe and he was like oh i heard uh hi learning all the way through the phone call i was like is this somebody taking the piss do you know what i mean it's kind of going with the phone call again but i'm like (laughs) thinking in the back of my head nah like you know and then and he was like, oh, I really like uh, high learning. And so it was like, you know, I just wanted to say, you know, hello and, you know, wow. well, you know, well done with everything. And, and and then 
about two weeks later, he phoned me again. He was like, what are you up to? And I was like, oh, I'm playing a gig tonight. We were playing somewhere in Nottingham, I think. And he was like, yeah, I know, I know you are. I'm coming, I'm coming to see you. Oh. And I was like, I was like, fuck off. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm at the, I'm at the venue. Step outside. And, and then that was the, I think that was the first time that I'd met somebody that I really respected musically. Wow. And that was, the, and it was quite an odd, an odd thing, really. You know, remember yeah. when we first met that it was kind of like, like it was just, I don't know, man. It's just, I think it's the first time that that transition kind of went from not, uh, I don't, listening to somebody to that crossover of becoming friends with him. I've become friends with him. Like, oh, I don't, don't keep in touch with him a lot these days, but yeah. But yeah, he, he, he's a great, he's a great guy. Like, he's on my list for the, for my, like my unicorns of, for this show. Oh, you should get him on, man. I, 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 I'll try and hook you up with him if you're, you know, oh, he's a, you're my yeah, guardian angel. A... <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. I, I'll ask him for you. Yeah. I, I, I kind of know what you mean. It's, it's kind of funny. And I'll, this whole show is supposed to be about you and I keep throwing out stories about me, but no, man, it's a, the, that's how I prefer it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Okay. So I, I told you that I'm a, I'm a photographer. I mean, I'm not a professional one anymore, but I, I, did it professionally for about a decade. I went to college for it. And uh, right before the pandemic started, I, I started getting back into doing it, you know, shooting live music events again. And because that's, since I don't have to do it professionally, I'm just going to really focus on what the things I love to do. And I love music. I love photography and I love putting them together. And cool. in 2019, I, well, I started this podcast in, in like July of 2018. And uh, one of my first guests was Kelly Scott and from Failure and uh, Jordan Zadarosny from Blinker the Star. They came on and, right. and they've been they've known they've been friends for like twenty five years. So they came on together. And uh, a few months after that, Failure released an album. I think it was there's they'd been on hiatus for like fifteen years. Released an album in twenty I think it was fourteen, and they were about to release their second album for, after the Reformation. So they went on tour. And, uh, I got in touch with Kelly again. I, I mean, we'll email back and forth or message back and forth occasionally. And, um, I'm like, Hey, you know, if, if, uh, if there's any way I can bring my camera, I would love to see you guys. He's like, I will, I, I got a, a press pass for you. Just come on out. Cause the show is in, in Washington, DC. And I live about a little over an hour from DC. So it's not that bad of a trip to get there. So okay. I went down to the show, brought my camera and, um, you know, after the show, he's like, he, he comes out and he's like, Hey, come on, come on back and uh, let's hang out. And so I went back and, uh, it was kind of weird. Cause they had this VIP section where if you, if you bought a VIP pass, you could go up and meet the band afterwards. So there's me and like one guy and his son. And that, that's pretty much it at the time. Cause I think it was a weekday show or something. So, so, uh, we're just kind of sitting there chatting and he says goodbye to the guy and his son. And he's like, Hey Mark, uh, just come on with me. And the other guy looks at me like, what what how why are you going to go with this guy and i'm like eh, well you know got, got a podcast you know what can i say so we end up going back down to the stage because they've got to pack up their own gear <laughs> you know i mean it's, i love the band failure they're fairly well known but it's the 930 club in dc and it's you know they don't have all kinds of roadies they're not the stones but no, no. but so they're packing up their own gear and it was just so weird because kelly and i are just talking about just random stuff, normal everyday stuff. And I don't know the other two guys in the band really. I, it, Ken Andrews and uh, Greg Edwards. And they're, 
so I'm thinking of these guys as these incredible musicians that I've known from the nineties that I've been listening to for 20 something years. And they're just sitting there, me sitting there packing up their own gear, chatting to me, making fun of Kelly. And just, I'm just like, God, they're just normal people. They're just regular dudes <laughs> on the stage. Yeah. It's kind of a weird feeling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting when you, you break down those barriers and you just realize obviously people are just people, aren't they? It's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's and lo- luckily, the people I've met over the years as well are all pretty, I don't know, all, all seem to be pretty, pretty cool, decent people as well. You know, yeah. I'm sure there's some idiots out there, but I've been quite fortunate enough to do that, really. <laughs> well, yeah. back, back to Humanist. You sent out a bunch of uh, requests for people to, to do the vocals for the album. Did anyone say no? Uh... There was one person. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. If you're not comfortable but, um, telling, you don't have to say who, but I was just curious to see. No, yeah, was... yeah. There was, there was there was one guy that I approached very early on. Not even um, massively well-known either, but um, he just, I don't think he said no. He just kind of didn't, didn't get back to me. <laughs> you know, he just kind of like was interested, asked me to, asked to hear a few things and then just kind of, I think I followed it up and I didn't hear anything back, but yeah. I was trying to um, get Susie Sue on the record Ooh, wow. uh, from the Banshees. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of back and forth with her kind of go to, I don't know he's, I don't know if he's his, her manager or not, which I think she looks after herself, but he's like the kind of go between and yeah. it was kind of like, felt like it might happen. But anyway, I, I just couldn't seem to get that to connect, but maybe at some point, it happened. Hey, look, um, man, how long did it take us to, to get this? A, a year. Yeah, man, sorry about to... that. <laughs> no, man, look, I, I, we both got I tr- lives. You know? Yeah, no, I, I do try to, to be honest with you, I do try to avoid interviews. I just don't really, like I said, it, it's not something that I um, feel massively confident doing. So I just kind of tend to, um, like, I said, like I was saying before, I kind of, with music, I feel like I can express myself very clearly and exactly to say what exactly what I want to say musically, but with words, I just kind of don't know. I don't feel like I can really, you know. Well, it's, you do, uh, if I could stop interrupting you, you do a great job. So, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I just keep interrupting. Well, you're easy you. to talk to. Oh, <laughs> no. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So, all right. Mm. So, let's get back to what you're comfortable with the music. Yeah. You recorded the whole thing on your own then. Except for the vocals, and th- those those were sent to you, but the the album was kind of recorded on your own. Was that in? A, I mean, in a studio? Or was it your house? Well, yeah, no. I, so I did. I mean, pretty much all the record was recorded uh, just in, in my little studio that I've got, which is like the most basic equipment ever. But right at the beginning, once I had like about six or seven tracks together, uh, I went down to a studio with a guy called Fraser Smith. He was a producer and we started tracking drums for a couple of the, I, I, off the top of my head, I think about five tracks, I can't remember. And so I took those drums and put them throughout the, the album. I, but I don't even know if there's one track where the drums, are, the live drums are totally on the run. I don't think, I basically used the live drums and the, uh, the program drums and put them together, which is pretty much uh, what, uh, Alan Johannes did with Gargoyle. The drums that I sent, I, he got Jack because I remember um, Lanigan had sent me a message. I said, oh, you know, that, probably because 
you know, oh, you, you should replace the drums, you know, trying to play it down really, you know, what I'd done. But I was quite, yeah. qu- quite proud of the drums that I'd programmed, but I thought maybe they could be a bit better, you know, because pro- in my head I know that the programs are not real. Yeah. And then when... So he did get Jack Irons to um, to do the drums, but then he sent me an email and said, to be honest with you, we've just ended up using the program Beats and we've kind of put Jack Irons, <laughs> he's in there, but he's just under, like, you know, the, the, the balance the two things together. And, yeah. and I think that probably, I thought, well, do you know what? Fuck it then. If it's good enough for Lanigan, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's good enough for me. So that gave me a bit of confidence. I just kind of thought, well, you know what? Especially with things like Kingdom, like that kick is so kind of, obviously digital you know what I mean I just thought it yeah. sounds quite cool but when then I like the balance of when the live drums really do kick in you kind of it has such an impact and I thought the two things together kind of work so yeah I'm riding through the kingdom ghost is riding by my side as we roll up to the kingdom Ours is just to ride or die There is no medicine to cure us There is no medicine to take Beware the shark below the surface And Jack actually yeah. appears on one of the tracks on Humanist, right? Yeah, well, that that was a track that got rejected. Not rejected, it's not quite the right <laughs> word. <laughs> uh, it, originally, Skull was the opening track, I believe, for Gargoyle. Oh. And then right at the last minute, he used Death's Heads instead. Oh, uh, wow, okay. So, uh, so you, yeah. the stuff that came out on Gargoyle, was that stuff that you had already written for Humanist, or did you write it specifically for Gargoyle? No, I wrote it for Gargoyle, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, in a very short period of time as well. Uh, I mean, random, I, I had, up until this point, um, there was back and forth. At this point, Mark had only sung on Gospel and Kingdom, and okay. I'd had one email exchange with him, <laughs> and, that, and that was it. And in, the, in my email, I said, look, uh, thank you so much for doing this, and if you ever fancy doing something together later down the line, I'd be totally up for it for your record or whatever, you know. Yeah. And never heard anything back. And then about three weeks after that, maybe a month or something, I just got an email out the blue, and it was like, hey, man, it's Mark. Uh, I'm going into the studio in about uh, eight days or ten days or something, and I'm, um, I'm not really sure. I'm digging some of the tracks. Do you have any leftover humanist material? So I was like, fuck. Oh. Uh, so I was like, uh, no, but if you give me a week, I'll, I'll get into something and try and send you something new. And, you, uh, you know, what form does it need to be in? And he was just like, anything, man, just like anything you've got that you, you dig in, send, send it through. So I was like, right, fuck it. Here's an opportunity. Yes. So I locked myself uh, literally for every single day. I mean, I was, I mean, I had a, at this point as well, I had a really fucking shit job. I was working in like the kitchen. Oh man. And uh, oh man, it was horrible. It was like, for, I mean, the people that were there were lovely, you know, but it was just like one of these like grueling, I was like, I needed money and I was like doing this shit, but, um, the shitty work. And then we, we go back to the, it, it just, it, it, to me, there's just such a, I hate the word disconnect, but there's just such a, uh, a separation between, you, you're working with Mark Lanigan, 
but you also have to have a day job. It's just yeah, it's fucking. I mean, I've been I've been lucky over the last four to five years. I will say that I've been like kind of. I've, I've done little bits of work here and there when I've had to, but then I've had periods where I haven't had to work because I've made just enough money to pay, you know, with music to yeah. to pay for things. But you know, it's a constant battle. But at that point, yeah. I'd, you know, Exit Calm was totally done. I just started writing again, and I had the humanist thing that I was working on, but I, you know, nothing else. So I was yeah. kind of doing this thing. So I w- and I was working about. 50 hours a week at this fucking job that I hated and exhausted at the end of it. But in that period, of, I just thought, well, I'd come home at midnight and I'd just stay up writing, recording, writing, recording, just throwing ideas down at speeds. And I'd get up, go to work, then come back and do the same again. I just thought, fuck it, man. I don't care how tired I'm going to get. I'm going to throw everything I've got into this. Yeah. I mean, what an I re- yeah. And I got, I mean, I recorded 10 things. I, I, Three two things away, had eight tracks and six ended up on the album and one came back. One ended up scrapping and the other one was Skull, which came back to me and ended up going on, obviously, the Humanist Records. That's amazing. So, that is incredible. Yeah, I was surprised that he took it, man. I was thinking, every, I, every, every, I sent him two lots of four tracks and he t- every time he was like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, so, yeah, yeah, I can picture him. Yeah. I can picture him saying that. Yeah, he's, he's, super, he's a super like, beautiful man. Yeah. You know I mean, I'm very lucky to have Mark in my life. He's uh, always in- included me in, in when the Gargoyle Press was out there. He was like always like just name-checking me. And also, you know, if it wasn't for Lanigan, Dave Garn wouldn't be on the record. He's the guy that hooked me up with Dave. That's like, incredible. Just a, yeah, that's a great song, just, too. Shot Caller. Man, that's, that's such a great track. Thanks. Thank you again. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I, can't, I, I, I don't know. I feel a little fanboyish. Too many compliments, Mark. <laughs> I, know, I know. I feel a little fanboyish, but the, the album really from start to finish, it's just one of the most solid albums out there. It's just, it's just really, really well written, well produced that you've got such a variety. And that, I think maybe that's one reason why I like it so much is that it's not all Mark Lanigan. It's not, all Mark Gardner. It's not all Dave Gahan or Ron Sex. It's, it's, it's so many different people and so many different styles. Uh, you know, like truly too late. You know that. Yeah, yeah. That's a great track. That that sounds nothing like any anything else on the album. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, with, with that in mind, I was slightly concerned I, I, as I kind of was building this picture of the full record. I was thinking, oh, is it not going to? Is it going to feel disconnected? Or will it have the continuity? But I feel like it does flow from the beginning to the end and it doesn't feel even, I would probably say the Ron Sexsmith track is probably the kind of wild card on the record because it kind of, that is a real shift in dynamic. But I think that's a beautiful thing, you know what I mean? 
Well, yeah, because, you know, you don't want it to be, you know, 10, 12, 14 tracks of just getting pummeled to death. Like, oh, like, holy crap. Um, English Ghosts. Speaking of John Robb. From, oh, right? gosh, yeah. That yeah. song is relentless. Yeah, it is, it is crazy. It is. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that as it was we, it, originally, it went as you hear it is how it went down. But it was longer, and I kind of <laughs> it, it was one take. Really? And, uh, yeah, one, one take, one take of guitar, one take of bass. I programmed the bit like the drums in probably five minutes, and. Then we put a tambourine on it. John did his vocal at the same time as I was doing guitar, I think. Wow. Uh, Those vocals are otherworldly at times. Yeah, man. They're fucking... They're I mean, had I not been totally locked in and totally focused on what on the right the track as it was being written, you know, some of the unorthodox noises that John was like coming out of his mouth. But I might <laughs> have cracked, way to cracked put into it. a giggle, you know. But, it's, <laughs> but he's, a, he's an enigma. Like. He's, a, I mean, he's a real deal. I mean, that's kind of almost like the centerpiece of the record, English Ghost. I knew once we had that, I thought, right, fuck, you know, like, I feel like I've covered all yeah. bases now. Because you know? <laughs> it was, I think that was the last track that went on the record, believe it or not. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So John originally came down to put some bass, just to put some bass on the track that didn't end up going on the record. And as we were starting that, I was like, should we just fuck this up? What was that? I remember he played the... The bass line that is the thing that runs all the way through the track, and I was like, "Right, that thing you're playing there now, let's fucking use that." So we, we quickly stuck that down, programmed a beat, and then it, and then we just started from you know just played it all the way through, start to wow. finish, like a whole improv. That's uh, yeah, it was fucking oh, the moment. That is crazy. Oh, see, I, that's why I love talking to musicians because that's like, oh, to hear that that track was just basically one take. That's incredible. Pretty much the, the, the and so for example, we go back to everything that I pretty much do is one take. And that, and the, the reason for that being is that I, when I try to write music, I, when I, when I get that, when I go into, like, oh, fucking hell, I tried to say this without sounding pretentious or anything, because I hate, I hate when I read people or hear people talking like this, but I try to think, when I'm doing music, I try to think of nothing whatsoever. I just try to fall into that place where whatever it is, where you start to, where you just start doing things, do you know what I mean? And when I get there, I don't want to be thinking about the fucking computer or right, right. what I'm playing. I just throw it, things down. Like as like as as it as it as it comes to me, it just goes down, and I don't care what it sounds like. Right. Nothing's considered. It's just it just happens, and then I kind of go back afterwards and try to like fix that like, oh, go, oh, that's a bit noisy. I'll try and get get rid of that. But with gospel, for example, that was the whole thing 
is an improvisation from start to finish and it's wow. there's nothing there's no edits in that guitar part from start to finish Whoa. which was a fucking nightmare because <laughs> it wasn't to a it wasn't to a click so trying to put drums to it was just like oh my gosh like try, you know getting things in time but i didn't think yeah, about that. It, the spirit of you know capturing something as it happens is just amazing isn't it i think it that's what resonates with me and then hopefully with other people you know that's you, you can't you can't re, you can't recreate that moment you can try yeah. to but it's never it's never the same so what's the fucking point just you know well my mother and father too have gone home to be down You know my sister brother too They have gone home to be with God They have gone home to Were you ever able to play live uh, the album? You know, play get a get a band together and, and play anything out. We started rehearsing, and we were just about to go on tour. We had seven UK dates booked in, and but there was um, this was kind of just pre lockdown, the yeah. first lockdown. We, there was obviously dates in Europe after that, and more dates in in the UK. Well, like Europe and the dates in the UK when the seven dates that we had originally booked in they got rearranged well they've been rearranged four times now so it's God. just been a fucking nightmare to be honest but oh. everybody's gone through the same yeah same shit so so you had a, a band set I mean who so who was gonna take this out on the road with you uh, so the drummer is Scott who's just been with me forever the really he was a drummer yeah <laughs> he was uh, yeah, exactly man yeah he is the rock. Yeah, he's he was in Lights of Sleep and Exit Calm, so he's playing drums. And then Tasha Starkey, who's playing bass, she was in a band called Bella Kiss. Her, okay. Obviously, her dad's, I don't know, he, he's a drummer in The Who. It's something like that, um, yeah. Zach Starkey uh, is, her, is her dad. <laughs> Are you, sorry. Wow. Yeah. So, but she's a fucking great bass player. We And Exit Calm played with uh, her band's Oh, quite a few times and every time that we saw them I was like fuck man because like, I don't really and it's not often that I see people playing and go oh wow they're fucking really good yeah. I don't, you know I just don't really but I remember seeing her playing bass and I was like fuck man she's really good wow so when this kind of came up sent her a message and she was up for it so that, that's that been wicked getting her in and then a guy called James Madritsky is the guy that is taking on the vocals okay um he was in a band called pure essence a, a band in manchester i don't know if you've heard of them no uh, you should check them out if you haven't i will um uh so he he's he's got an amazing voice brilliant frontman and he's got i mean he's it's a big task to take on doing other people. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that wherever we play i can try and drag somebody from the record like i know john rob is going to do a couple of uh, get up and do some tracks here and there but I wanted to I didn't want to have to rely on anybody I just wanted to be able to go out and do it 
yeah as a band and i wanted it to be different because what's the point of trying to recreate the record you know it's, it's, yeah i quite like the idea of, of taking the traps and trying to do something with them because that that is the kind of point of humanist really well, it's not meant to be that's that's what i've always loved about live shows is i if, if i wanted to hear it the exact way it was done on the record i just put on the record exactly you know? yeah i want to i want to hear uh you know i want to hear something a little, little bit different by playing it live because even if it's just just sounds a little more stripped down and bare that that's okay with me but if you know there's no point to me aside from a couple uh, bands there's almost no point to to hearing a, something that sounds exactly like the record i like hearing no, I, I agree. a little improv a, a, a little little more bare boned version i don't know yeah it's got it, it, well you know for a start there's different people in playing in the live band than there's on the record so it's going to be fucking different anyway yes i mean and you can't play everything on, on the stage no. <laughs> so but um but yeah no it's, it was sounding fucking it was sounding really good in the rehearsal room and like loads of energy and just powerful and we were all buzzing to get out and start playing and then obviously lockdown kicked in and and everything's just gone to shit really so what's the situation like in the uk right now at this point because over here they're talking about maybe summertime opening up some things like um you know a smaller capacity for sports um and maybe you know closer to the end of the year at live venues opening up again is it what's going on over there in the uk well, I mean, as it stands, right, we're still in lockdown. I don't think. I mean, there's a roadmap that they put out of uh, things, kind of. But I don't. I mean, the government don't know what the fucking. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I it's know. a terrible state. To but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, they, you know, obviously, the, the people have started to uh, advertise and put tours towards the back end of the year, and that there's our tours is in October now, and there's talk of it happening. But I don't know, man. I just I'm not. I can't see how we're, we're in lockdown now, how it come kind of October that they're going to be able to put oh. 300 people in a sold out venue. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not shoulder to shoulder. How is that going to, you know, I don't know. And, well, and, the, but, and in addition to that, you've, you've got to remember just the logistics of everything. You know, you can't just say, okay, everything's open. And then tomorrow, you know, bands are going to be playing in clubs, you know, places. Yeah, no, we're not been. We haven't rehearsed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, and, and we, as it stands empty. at the moment, no, nobody can get together to rehearse. We're not. You know, you're literally legally not allowed right. to go from one city to another, unless or town wow. to another, unless you are uh, unless it's for work. You know what I mean? Wow. So that's great. Um, this this entire time, I've been having to drive forty five miles back and forth to my job. This whole so I've I haven't really been in lockdown. <laughs> I wow. I was considered essential. So and then. Then I asked for a raise, and they're like, "You're not that essential." <laughs> but <laughs> but they've they've actually taken care of me. Starting the uh, they've they've done a really good job after, since the turn of the year. So that, I I gotta hand it to them. They've they've actually done a really good job with with uh, understanding the struggles that me and everybody in my department in my building have have had to go through over the past year. So it finally clicked with them, and they. They, they've actually kind of turned a corner so i'm very happy so oh, that's cool well what's happening where you are then are you in lockdown right now or no. things are back to normal uh, or, things, you know uh, back to normal but no things are open and it, it over here it just it just kind of depends state to state um we you know i can go wherever back and forth wherever we want as long as as long as the um 
office, you know, offices, restaurants, stores, as long as they're open, you know, you can go in, but you gotta, you gotta wear a mask. Um, they try to stress social distancing, which is a, a term I've come to hate at this point. I try to, to, to be as respectful to everybody as we can and, and everybody around in, you know, where I live is doing a pretty good job of it. They, they're actually, my kids go to high school. All three of my kids are in high school right now. I've got a, a 16, 17 and 18 year old and they're going to school on campus two days a week and virtual two days a week. And then like Friday is the day where they they need to just turn all their work in. So Friday is kind of like a weird day. They're actually thinking about in April having the kids go to school four days a week, you know, on campus. Right. So, uh, you know, to me, it looks like things are starting to open up and, uh, but you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We're, well, fingers crossed. It's, it's been a fucking, this particular lockdown, it's been a total drag, man. It's just yeah. like, fucking hell. Well, I can so imagine, every, I can, yeah. you guys were in, uh, UK was in lockdown for quite a while. I mean, I, I had Jack Bates on a while ago and he, you know, this was, uh, gosh, I, I'd say summer and he was practically stir crazy when I had him on. And, uh, then you guys had to go through a whole nother lockdown. So I can imagine the mental fatigue you guys, you know, what it's doing. Uh, it's, yeah, man. It's, it's, bizarre. he's a, he's a, he seems like a nice guy, by the way. Doesn't he, Jack? Oh, Jack is great. I owe him a t-shirt. Jack, I promise I'm going to, I'll get it to you. <laughs> so, so. He's, I think he, he's on about coming down to the Manchester gig. I've never met him before. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, a little bit of back and forth again, just through uh, social media. Yeah, yeah. so he's got, I'll, yeah. Lanigan, bringing people together. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speak, okay, so speaking of Lanigan, you're also on the Somebody's Knocking album. Was that, uh, was any of that left over from humanist stuff, or was that all brand new stuff that you'd recorded for him? Uh, all brand new stuff again. Oh. Yeah. Um, so uh, after Gargoyle, yeah, I mean, I've just, I guess, become friends, obviously. But yeah. I'm, yeah. And um, he was like, oh, man, you know, just let's uh, just keep writing together. So we just have, you know, we've just written quite a lot of stuff, really. And um, I've always kind of like throwing any ideas that I have that I think are suitable towards him. And if they, if he feels like they're, Right, then he used them for his records. So I know he's working on a, a new record, and I've yeah. sent a couple of things as well that I think he probably end up using. So oh, awesome! But um, he's just moved though uh, to um, Ireland. I don't know whereabouts in Ireland. Did you know that? Or? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, oh gosh, this was kind of funny because he came on a second time to, uh, around Christmas. I reached back out to him and I, I said, "Hey, look, I want to do a special Christmas episode, and you just." Because he just released that Dark Mark Does Christmas album officially. Oh, uh, yeah, I haven't heard that. Oh, it's really good. It, yeah. Oh, it's really, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Because he was doing it on tours. He would sell it out of his merch table, but it was it was just something he did himself and he would sell uh, around Christmas time. And he would always sell out of it. And so he finally decided to release it officially and put it out on, on CD. And he had written a, or no, uh, Peter Hook had written a foreword for uh, the second printing of his book uh, of Lanigan's book uh, right yeah sing backwards and weep so I said well let's if, if you don't mind I'd love to do a really short Christmas special for the podcast and it was funny because he actually thought my podcast was somebody else's podcast which <laughs> I I totally get because you know I don't have a whole lot of correspondence with him we're not like best friends but uh, 
it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm kind of hoping maybe he didn't agree just because of that, but um, he was cool with oh, it. Gun, gun. And at the oh, time, he's a good guy, man. Well, at the time, he's like, he's like, uh, use this phone number. So we, he's like, I'm, I'm uh, in Ireland. So I'm like, oh, okay. So, so we started talking about that, and he's like, yeah. He's like, uh, I'm not looking at places. He's like, I'm, I'm gonna be moving here permanently. I'm like, oh, and it's. He said it just makes sense. He's like, everybody I work with is in Europe, so. I said that, that yeah. makes perfect sense. So since he is there, is there, you guys think you might work a little more together? I mean, you guys work together a lot as it is, but it would, I know it'd be easier. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, we're still work, working together now. I, I, can't, I, I mean, I'd like to think that the, that would probably continue on. I think it probably will. You might be able to get him to show um, but, up at one of the live gigs then. Yeah, man, you never know. Fingers it's, crossed. I, yeah, he's going to be itching to get out on tours because I mean, that was his main thing, wasn't it? I mean, he, used to, he never stops really, no. and so it's got to be tough for him. And also going from Los Angeles to Ireland—that's it. That's a fucking huge change, isn't it? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so, I thought it was bad when I moved from New Jersey to Alabama. That was rough, but right. LA to Ireland. <laughs> Man. Yeah, what a contrast. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, all right. So I know that the, the, we were just talking about how the pandemic and the, the lockdown has been really hard on you and everybody, especially in Europe and, and, and all. Have, have you been writing more music? I know you wrote a ton of stuff for Humanist, right? It, has, have you continued to keep writing ever since? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's... I've not been doing it at the same pace. I'll, I'll be to- totally honest. It kind of did knock the wind out of my sails a little <laughs> bit when the kind of first lockdown kicked in. Because oh, yeah. I was, I'd done so much writing up until that point that I was really itching to, I really wanted to get out and play live because I hadn't played live for since Exit Calm. So probably it had been four, four or five years at that point. So I was really kind of, and I'd had, an, once Exit Calm had finished, I'd kind of, I was ready for a break from playing live. I felt like I'd done it so much that kind of like the thrill and the excitement of like walking out was becoming a little bit kind of, I don't know, man. It just, I did, the, the buzz wasn't there anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Which is shit, you know, when it gets to that point. I mean, I still love playing live. I mean, it's just like all, all the other stuff that goes with it. Yeah, the traveling around and stuff. I got a bit tired of that. Um, well, and like like we had mentioned before, so, you, you got to bring your stuff in and out. You know, you're not the Stones, unfortunately. So there's yeah, exactly. the performing is just part of it. It's traveling and packing and unpacking all your equipment. And oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's I mean, we've it's always been like a, a slog, really. You know what I mean? It's, there's never been any glamour in it for us. <laughs> but we, you know, I, I did love I, I did love that side of. Of, and especially towards the end of Exocam, we start to actually sell out gigs up and down the country, which is like a, that probably for the last couple of years we started doing that, and that was that was pretty incredible, really. I never walked out thinking, "Oh, this is normal." I, for me, it was just like, "Wow, fucking, nice. this is incredible." We just turned up to a venue, you know, a venue to have people actually there and want to fucking that want to see us. It's, it's always a thrill, but it, every, with it combined with everything else that was going off at that point. I just kind of reached a point where I was for the first time ever really, where I thought, right, I'm kind of ready to not play live for a bit now. Um, Makes but sense. yeah, for, but normally with, with all this, uh, I'm, I'm quite prolific really. And I'm with writing and I'm self-motivated and, but yeah, just kind of, I don't know. It was a bit of a struggle getting back into the writing, but I pushed, 
and kept going and yeah I've, I've got you know i've been doing lots of writing actually lots of writing with different people and working on a new humanist records but probably i mean i've got more than enough material <laughs> for you know a number of humanist records really so <laughs> i was gonna say yeah. i i, I <laughs> think I, I remember reading where you had uh you said you'd written enough for like eight sides of a or four sides of a humanist album so it yeah. would have been like a four disc. <laughs> it's grown from that. At this point, you well, should you have know, eight I, double I, albums. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I probably do, yeah. But the thing is, you, the more tracks that you do get, the more kind of somehow it feels like a burden to have them and not be doing anything with them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how, wow. why that is, that. but it, yeah, I, I, it's almost like it feels like oh god if I, like, I need to stop because i've got all this stuff and i feel like i need to do something with it otherwise it's just sat there and it doesn't feel fresh the stuff that feels fresh is the stuff that i'm writing and that's what i'm excited about and when i tend to finish a track i leave it alone and i don't really go back to it yeah do you know what i mean i feel like i'm constantly moving on and i've at this i'm reaching a point where i feel like i need to stop <laughs> and just kind of collect things together and, and put, yeah and put them into one place really. oh man we you can always just release them as singles on Bandcamp. Yeah. <laughs> yes, could do that. <laughs> I know people like me. Would, well, nothing's would... it once you get a once you get a label involved, everything becomes a little bit. Because I tried to do some kind of giveaway track, and it was like, no, you can't give away the track. It's got to be done this way. And I was oh, like, oh, okay, it's too too complicated, you know. Man. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I've, I've, at some point I probably put. Um, some kind of I don't know thing together and probably just stick them on band camp or give it away or something I don't know oh man well I'm down for that because I absolutely love the stuff that you've done so it's funny because I see that's a good possibility because so I just had another guy who I forgot to mention that suggested I have you on the episode was Peter Holmstrom from Dandy Warhols and oh well and um, the Dandies are doing stuff on Bandcamp. They've got this, um, I'm trying to think of what it was. They call it, um, oh shit, I don't remember what the hell they call it. It's it, it's an album. They they put out a track every week and it's no longer than a minute. And then once they get like 25 of these songs together, they, they put it together as a little compilation. And, and you can you know listen to them. You, they'll try to remember how they release it. It's through uh, the, the email or, or their website or something and you can listen to them at or, or social media as they release them but then once they get enough they'll actually put them all together and put it out on Bandcamp and it's like a name your own price well, do, you, do you mean in, like instrumental tracks or do you mean no. an actual song it's an actual song but a song that's a minute long yeah it's like wow. 30 seconds to a minute long and they're crazy some wow. of them are hilarious but it's usually the entire band and there's like five people in that band so they're you know, every week they're getting together, even if it's just virtually, and putting something together 30 seconds to a minute long. It's just crazy. Wow. Yeah. Fuck. That would be a challenge. Yeah. yeah. It has been. And I'll, look, I'll look into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I'd struggle a minute, man. Fucking hell. I, I've come from... <laughs> six seven minute tracks yeah. you know what i mean that, that, that I've, in my head is somehow a single do you know what i mean but I, yeah you know I've, I've scaled it down quite a bit recently but a minute now I couldn't do it. i don't think that's possible for me yeah but you've probably you've that's got like you've got so much stuff lying around you could just start putting that out one at a time one once one track a week yeah so. 
maybe I will. <laughs> well, it, I w- I've got kind of like a slightly dip, like ambient kind of more of a soundtracky kind of a uh, oh, bunch of ideas that I was thinking of releasing. In, you know, maybe like that, or, or the band camp thing, or just something that's separate. But yeah, I'll see. I, awesome. I need to get more focused with that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, I do what I can to help people out. You know. Oh man, it's been like therapy. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, dude, I'm really, I've, I've, I've kept you quite a while here, man. I, and you said you're working on hopefully a new humanist album. Is there anything else going on that that uh, you're involved in that that might be coming out soon? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm with a, sorry, motorbike is from by <laughs> I was going to say, are you, you, uh, you on a motorbike now? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, that'd be a new um, no, one. No, I mean, I am, what, what, right, what, playing on a motorbike? Play, or? Doing a podcast off a motorbike, playing on a motorbike, anything, that would be, oh my yeah, God. You, you're the king of that, Mark, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe your next podcast. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Something on a bike. Yeah. Well, I I, yeah. So I am working on a, a, a project, a possible project with somebody, but I probably wouldn't name who it, I could tell you, but I don't know if it should be part of the podcast or whatever. Yeah. I've, I've kept you for over two hours at this point. Where can people follow you on social medias? Uh, all any, any or all of them or none of them, if you're not on them, uh, how can people keep oh, I'm track a, of what I'm on doing. all of them I'm everywhere <laughs> uh, no I, yeah, I was just Facebook Instagram Twitter are the three things I mean I, I don't like social media I'll be honest but I kind of obviously you've got to have them yeah so I just kind of like keep I'm probably most active on Instagram and Facebook really Twitter yeah. kind of I, I just did a, a Tim's listening party I don't know if you've heard of that but it's uh, Tim Burgess from the Charlottes so yes. he does this yeah, it's it's quite a weird concept, but strangely, it was quite enjoyable. Um, I think I, that's. I was kind of. Oh gosh, somebody was it? Lanigan uh, tweeted about that. Yeah, that's right. He did one for his record. Yeah, but again, he, he that, tweeted one for that yours. Came through uh, Lanigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He, yeah, he. So when they were when we were doing the humanist record, um, he jumped in and. I did a few comments and so did John Robb and Ron Sexsmith and everybody, I think, apart from Mark Gardner, I think, uh, jumped in and, and added a comment. I think Mark Gardner did later on. So, uh, oh, yeah, awesome. it was, yeah, that was really, yeah, it was, it was, I was kind of slightly nervous about doing that because the, the idea of people <laughs> at nine o'clock play, pressing play at home and then twi- I was thinking well fucking hell is anybody going to actually turn up to this because he'd, he'd done some big ones with Paul McCartney and am I just going to be tweeting to myself do you know what I mean? <laughs> but luckily because <Yeah. laughs> because I'm not quite active on Twitter it's not one of the kind of places that I've got tons of like a lot of followers yeah so I was kind of slightly thinking, oh, fuck. But no, luckily it went really well, man. It, was, it couldn't have gone better. So. That's awesome. So, yeah. That... So, yeah, I guess that, that, that yeah, I'm, I'm out there if uh, anybody wants to connect. Well, man, I, yeah. I, hopefully after hearing this, you'll get, a, you'll get at least like five or six more people. We'll see. I don't know how many people actually listen to this yeah. podcast. I, I have no clue. My I followers will probably start to diminish after this. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it, that, you know that it'll that'll just be the uh, the trend. I mean, you, when when the uh, 
with Lights of Sleep, you, you, everybody quit when you joined. Then uh, we've kept having yeah, yeah. connectivity issues. So, but yeah. I didn't give up. <laughs> I didn't quit. God, yeah, well, I do. I've, you know, if, if, if there's one asset that I've got, it's perseverance. That's you know true. I mean? but, uh... <laughs> and I, I have kept you. I've been very selfish with your time. So thank you so much. No, no it's for... been a pleasure talking to you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.